You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today we're continuing our series on a prayer talking to Jesus. Today is what were you expecting? What were you expecting? Uh, have, have, you ever, have you ever ordered something to eat and it didn't quite look like the picture? Like it showed up and you were expecting it to be like, like you thought the Big Mac would look a certain way. You, you, you thought that picture was gonna, but, but, but it maybe it quite didn't deliver what you expected. Uh, in life, there's lots of areas that we expect things to be a certain way and we show up. I've, have you ever showed up to a hotel and it didn't quite look like the pictures on the website? I remember one in particular, I booked, uh, we were driving, uh, I don't remember, I think it was a vacation to actually come up to Iowa to see family and visit here when we were still living in Florida. And we drove, we packed the van up, loaded all the kids and drove up. And, and I picked a hotel based on what, I, one, I, I, let's just be honest, dads, I was looking for cheap. Come on, somebody. And, uh, and it looked good in the pictures. And then I found out it wasn't a hotel, but a motel. And, 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 and do you know what the difference is? Sometimes motels have other occupants there that run away when you turn on the lights. And I got there and of course, um, my wife said, why in the world did you book this place? This was not what I was expecting. And, uh, and, and okay, anyway, I'll just keep moving on. Uh, Mark chapter 11 today, we're gonna talk about faith and faith at its heart involves two things, confidence and expectation. The way we say that at River City Church is that faith is our lifestyle. Faith is not just what we believe about God. It's not just our religious beliefs, our set of doctrinal statements. Uh, we have a statement of faith, and that's very important to know what we believe about from, based on what God's word says. Uh, but I want you to understand that faith is more than just a system of beliefs or a statement of beliefs, but it's actually also a lifestyle, an adventurous lifestyle based upon recognizing that God calls nothing, calls, calls those things that are not as though they are, and says dead things have to come to life. A God who says nothing's impossible for me is a God who's called you and I to walk in faith. Faith is more than what we believe about God. It's an adventure with God. And part of that adventure is living with confidence in God, but also expectation. Can I just tell you, life sometimes promises what it doesn't deliver, but God doesn't. God God gives a, he, when we expect God to move in our life, when we live with expectation, and we're gonna see this today, how to, how to recognize and respond to the promises of God, particularly in prayer, because prayer and faith are meant to be married together. They're meant to be joined together. Faith, uh, faith is, is the heartbeat of prayer. Without it, prayer is just a discipline. It's a practice, it's a ritual, it's a habit, but, but prayer was never meant to just be that. Mark chapter 11, verse 22, Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Experts say that our generation has more than any in recent memory lost faith in institutions, systems, Multiple areas of society, we at large part, especially increasingly with our kids' generation, is, is losing faith in a lot of things. But let me just tell you, when our faith is in something else, our confidence is in something else other than God, at some point it can and will be shaken. And that's not a bad thing because it always is meant to point us to the only thing that's unshakable. Are, are you with me? And so, 
So faith is confidence, and he says, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, here's the expectation part, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, doubt being an issue that, that just like last week we talked about how unforgiveness short circuits our prayer life, so does doubt, and who does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now let's bring this into context of prayer. Verse 24, Jesus then says, this is in red letters in your Bible, therefore I say to you, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe. Come on, church. Do you know you can pray and not be believing at the same time? That almost seems like a contradiction. Well, if I'm praying, I'm believing, right? Well, no, sometimes we get so used to the routine of prayer. We, have you ever been in a conversation that you're listening to, kind of, but you're not engaged? Like, like your head's there, but your heart isn't? Some of you are looking at me like that right now. You're like you're present in the room. Somebody's talking to you, but, but you're not engaged in it. Well, unfortunately for many Christians, that's what prayer becomes. It becomes something where we disconnect our faith. We no longer have expectation. We no longer have the same confidence. And we pray for the sake of praying. Do you know God never called you to pray for the sake of praying? He called us to pray with the expectation that he hears. And if he hears the answers, he says this, pray and believe that you receive what you've prayed for and you will have it. So here's the point, that we're to pray, we're to engage in prayer with faith. We're to join those together. So, so what is prayer? I told you this last week and I've shared this before with our church family, but prayer is this. Prayer is first an invitation. Prayer is an invitation. It's an invitation from God to you to encounter what's impossible to encounter a God who's supernatural, a God who formed you before you ever took your first breath. God had a purpose for your life. It's an invitation. Prayer is the bridge that invites you to encounter a supernatural God. Prayer is also an invitation for you towards God to say, God, I want more of you in my life. I surrender this to you. I'm committing this area to you. We're inviting God into our families. We're inviting God into our marriages. We're inviting God into our workplaces. We're saying, God, I need your help every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I need you, God. Prayer is also a conversation. Prayer is not more effective because I pray better words or I say better words. You know, we, we get so technical sometimes that we think the effectiveness, the effectiveness of prayer is based on our ability to pray instead of the, the goodness of who God is. Your prayer isn't heard because you're good at praying. Your prayer is heard because God is always good and always faithful to answer. And, and this is important. So, so just because your neighbor can pray in King James... Just because your, your, your family member or your spouse even can pray circles and, and you think, well, I, I can't pray like that person. God hears your prayer. Do you know, I've learned a lot about prayer. In fact, I would say it's one of the most important, vital things about my relationship with God because just like every human relationship, communication is at its heart. So prayer's vital. But you know what? My prayer is no less effective the day I said yes to Jesus than 18, 19 years later in ministry, having preached the Bible, know the Bible, know God's word, can pr pray, probably pray better, more eloquently than I did at the beginning. But guess what? It's no less important in God's eyes. It's no less effective in God's eyes. Why is that important? Because if today, wherever you're at in your relationship with God, you can have a conversation with God. 
Prayer is a habitation. It's where we make room for God. We invite God to dwell, where God becomes more than a visitor, but he becomes family. He takes up residence. His presence fills our lives. Do you know why we set two seasons of the church? And also, if you don't know this, we have prayer throughout the year in different ways and different times. It's vital. Our staff prays every week. We do those things for a reason, because prayer creates a habitation. What defines us as the church is not Christian bumper stickers. It's not how big our Bible is. It's not even that we gather in a place every Sunday morning. What makes the church the church is the presence of God. And for the church to be filled with the presence of God, we need to be a praying church. Okay. I know a lot of people shut the door on prayer for a lot of reasons, but let me just give you four that I think we can identify. The first, I think, is is a wrong view of God. The first you deal with God, the second you deal with us. The first thing that keeps us from praying or causes us to shut the door on prayer in our life and even faith by extension is we have a wrong view of God. We think God's distant, God's far. He's uninterested. God doesn't care about this. God doesn't care about my situation, my problem, my circumstance, my need. We think God's uninterested. Uh, Even worse, we may think that God's against us. The second thing that keeps people from praying is undealt with or unresolved disappointment. We think God doesn't answer prayer because we didn't see him answer a certain way in a certain time the way we thought he would or should. Discouragement sets in that keeps us from believing and from then therefore praying. The second two deal with us, the next one's condemnation because many times people don't pray because they just simply don't feel worthy to approach God. And and can I just tell you what the cross was about 2,000 years ago? It was about God reaching out to a world that was broken by its sin. And not just the world distant or separate from me, but my world, my life. I was separate from God because of my sin. None of us were worthy of approaching a holy God, but God was not content to create, allow distance, so he sent Jesus to bridge the gap. That's what the gospel's about. Jesus died on the cross to take my sin so that I could be forgiven, set free, and could have a relationship with God. The Bible says to come boldly before the throne of grace. To come boldly, well, I've messed up too much. That's for you. That's for me. Come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. When do you need mercy? When you mess up. When do I need mercy? Every day. Because we can come boldly. Don't run from God. Run to God. Jesus made a way. The door's open. Condemnation should not be what keeps you from prayer. In fact, it's, it's actually what cuts you off or separates you from the source of your forgiveness, the source of your healing, the source of your answer. Well, I've just, I've done too much. I've made too many mistakes. I can't approach God. The other thing that keeps a lot of people from praying, and I think it's probably the number one thing that keeps most people from prayer, is what I would define as pride. It's the idea that whether we recognize it or call it pride or see it as pride, it's me deciding I wanna do things my way and I don't need God. How much I pray or how I pray or include prayer as a part of my life really is an indicator for me of how much I recognize I need God. If I know I need God every day, then I'll pray every day. When I think I can do it on my own and my ability, my strength, my wisdom, I got this figured out, then I won't go to God. James chapter one, verse five says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. I'm so glad this verse is in the Bible because there is some stuff that I run into sometimes every week, sometimes every day where I go, I don't know what to do about this. Anybody else? 
All of you know what you're doing, except two, me and three people. I'm preaching to you. Come on. If I lack wisdom, I can go to God with it. When I, when I need wisdom for my family, when I need wisdom for my marriage or my parenting or, or, or our, my, our jobs, whatever it is, when I need wisdom, I can go to God. And here's the promise. He says we can ask. And he gives liberally or freely. He's like, you want wisdom? I got wisdom for you. You need help? I'll give you help. You need to know what to do? I'll give, you, you need peace? I've got peace. And he gives without reproach. You know what that means? He doesn't go, oh, you again? This is like the fifth time this week you've asked me for help. What's wrong with you? Haven't you heard God helps those who help themselves? By the way, that's not in the Bible. He gives without reproach and it will be given to him. I don't see a lot of maybes. But, but here's the condition. He says, verse six, but let him ask in faith. There's the faith part. Without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven, tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Believing this way, and at the same, at the same time holding on to uncertainty and doubt. Driven by both. Well, how much faith do I need? I like to tell people, just have 51%. 100% is great. But you want 51%? It just puts you over the edge. I don't have full certainty about this. What do I do? I don't know what to do. I don't know what decision to make. I don't know what step to take. What does God say? And how do we build it? Let me ask you this. How do we get our faith? Romans 10, 17 tells us. Faith comes not by opinions, not by, not by what you know, even I think. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I wish I could tell you that faith is like going to a gas station and you fill up the tank. But faith is a result of what voice I'm listening to most in my life. Many voices bring fear, bring shame, bring hurt and trauma and loss and all these other things. But what if we listen to the words of God? What if we built our life on the word of God? Faith comes by this. That's why I give you a lot of Bible and messages because I believe that what should awaken and what does awaken faith is not an opinion. It's what God's word says because this will live long after my words and every opinion of every person in the world. But when you build your life on the word of God and you saturate and fill your life with the word of God, faith comes by hearing. It builds your confidence. It reveals who God is, the one who gives the promise, the one who says I'll answer. First John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence that we have in him. Where's our confidence? Faith is not wishy-washy, it's not uncertain. Faith actually has no plan B, in case you didn't know that. Faith is built on and directed by the word of God. I'm just keeping my options open. Well, that's what James just described, double-minded. I don't know why this isn't working. Well, maybe I'm trying to do it both ways. <laughs> this is the confidence, John says, we have in him, in God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, see, there it is. It's according to his will. I, how could I know the will of God? It's, it's, it's a noble mystery. Well, that's actually not true. 
because God has made known his will through his word, and he's given us the Holy Spirit to direct us in what there is not a chapter and verse for. Like, did you know there's not a, a book of the Bible that says, Brian, you should marry Jenna? It's not in there. I, didn't, I couldn't find it. Bible roulette did not bring me to that verse. <laughs> but because I had built my life on the word of God and built my faith on the word of God and allowed that to shape my prayers, I could trust, God, you've got my future taken care of. And when, you, and when God's will shows up in your life, you can recognize it by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you have faith based on his word. He says, he knows, we, we know that he hears us, so God hears prayer. God hears, that's part of our confidence, but not only does he hear prayer, he answers prayer. And he says, and we know that we have the things we've asked of. That's our confidence, that's what he, he tells us. And we know that we have the position, petitions that we've asked of him. So, so as far as God's concerned, prayer is the moment where in faith I connect to heaven, connect to God, and receive the promise. Even before it actually shows up in my life. In a way that I can see, recognize, experience God's promise is that I have what I've prayed for. Okay. John fifteen seven. if you abide in me, Jesus said, and my words abide in you. Then you'll ask what you desire. What's the key to answer prayer? Well, I believe this is one of the most essential parts of this. He says, abide in me, that you have a close relationship with Jesus and allow his words to abide in your heart. And as you fill your life with his word, he'll fill you with faith. He says, you'll ask what you desire and it'll be done for you. So, so, so the starting point is the word and we fill our life with God's word. So, let me ask you this, what about when God says no? Because all of these verses are about when God says yes. What about when God says no? Did you know that God can and does at times say no? I know that's hard and that's not always fun, but I'm gonna tell you why it's actually exciting. Because it is. It, when you really know why God says no, it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. But, but here's what I want you to catch because sometimes we view God like a, like a waiter at a restaurant who's brought us the wrong thing. I ordered a cheeseburger, you brought me a salad. Now I'm offended. <laughs> what are you saying? But, but no, no, no. We, and we, we, we think, well, that's not what I ordered. That's not what I asked for. And we send it back. And if it happens again and again, we go, that is a bad restaurant. But what's different? Well, when we go to God in prayer and we ask these things like these verses say, and we can go to God about anything and we can ask him about anything, the difference is we're coming to a God who is Lord of all. And I can come to him and recognize that I was bought at a price. And when I know who God is and I know that God's good, then when God says no, it means that there's something better around the corner. Revelation chapter three. Revelation chapter three. Verse seven, the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things. He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts. He opens doors and no one can shut them. And he shuts and no one opens. He said to the church, I know your works. I know what you're doing. 
And see, I've actually set before you, this is in red letters, an open door, and no one can shut it. Can I just tell you, when God opens a door, there is no opinion, there is no person, there is no demon in hell, there is no government of man, there is no culture, there is no society, there's no neighbor, no boss, there is no person on planet earth, there's no spouse or ex-spouse that can tell you that you have to shut it. Oh, 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 you, you didn't catch that. Because we think it's all their fault. Oh, it's that person. That's why things aren't happening. Oh, I just didn't get noticed by that. I, I didn't get, and, and we, we blame, instead of recognizing when God opens the door, there is no devil that can keep you from the will of God for your life unless you let it. And we're gonna talk about spiritual warfare. The one I didn't tell you is prayer is also a confrontation with the enemy. We'll deal with that in a couple weeks. But I want you to recognize this because here's what happens. He says, I open a door and there is no one that can shut it. That's good news, church. There is no one. So you may have critics and you may have complaints and you may have people around you that that gossip about you and talk about you and fight you and argue with you and all, all that stuff. But if heaven's opened a door, it doesn't matter what they think. And if heaven's opening a door, it doesn't matter how many people before that shut the door. So I I just wonder, are we looking to the right one to open our doors? (laughs) Uh, The other thing, though, is true. It's just as true that he opens doors as it's true that it says he shuts and no one can open. That includes me. Like, he shuts a door in my life. I can fight about it. I I can bang on that door. I can cry about that door. I can say, God, but that door looks so good. And do you know what this verse tells me? that the same God who blesses open doors blesses closed doors. He'll bless you with an open door. He also blesses you with a closed door. I know in the moment it's like, God, but why? Acts 16, uh, Paul, Paul's with his missionary team and they're going from region to region and every place they're going to, in Acts 16, we won't read it for time, but if you could put it on the screen, uh, every place they go to, he, it says that the Holy Spirit said no. They were going, and, and they weren't going to places to do something wrong. They were actually going to do the thing they were created for. It just wasn't the right place for them. They were going to preach the gospel. And they went to one place, and the Holy Spirit said, no. In fact, it actually says, uh, go back to the other verse, that the Holy Spirit forbid them. Not here, not now. Somebody else will go there. Somebody else is going to do that. But, but I want you to see this. Let me just read this last part. The, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Go to the next verse. And the Spirit did not permit them. Do you know what I don't see in either of these verses when God said no to both of these places? He didn't say why. Oh, God, why? N- nobody here's ever said that to God. Just, just first service people. Uh, why, God. And he doesn't explain. If you read the next few verses, he tells them where to go. He tells them where he opened the door. How many open doors do we miss because we're crying about closed doors? Why does God close the door? Because he's got a better yes around the corner. He's got a better yes. And if we're not careful, we'll miss that. Because we're focused on the closed door. We're focused. You know why it can be exciting when God says no? Because that just means as good as I think this is, oh, what God has is so much better. What God has is so much better. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that I can ask or think. That's what the Bible says. So if I see something that I think, man, this is a good opportunity. This is a good, this is necessary. I like this open door. God says, nope, shut the door. That means he's got something even better than that. 
Do you know why he also says no sometimes for something that he actually would otherwise say yes is because I'm not ready for that. My, my oldest son's in the front row. I'm gonna pick on him for a moment. Sorry, son. I took him driving for the first time this week. He's, he's about to turn 14. Took him driving. He did really good. He has been, a, I don't wanna say obsessed, but he's loved cars since he was crawling. Like, I can't even tell you how many times I had to watch the Pixar movie Cars. And he has ever since then loved NASCAR. He's just, he's been all about cars. But you know, it wasn't until this week that I got him behind the wheel and started the process of him driving a vehicle. Why? Because he wasn't ready at two and three and four and five. He wasn't ready then. And even no matter how much he may have wanted to, he wasn't ready. And for all of us, there's areas of our life where we go, God, why don't you open this door? I want this now. And God goes, let me, let me grow you. Let me develop. Let me work on the inside. Let me rearrange some things. Let me help you. Because if you're not careful, that open door will crush you instead of bless you. So God prepares us for the open door we're not ready for yet. Okay. Let's go to the story, 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings 4, verse 8. It happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem. And there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to come eat some food. I like this verse. So it was as often as he passed by, he would turn in there, and he'd eat some food. And she said to her husband, now, look, this holy man of God, Elisha, passes by us regularly. Let us make an upper room on the wall. And let us put a bed there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. And so it will be that whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. Now, they're, they're, they're seeing Elisha come by, and of course, they're practicing what was common in that day, hospitality. Like, we, we want to bless somebody who's a guest, who's traveling by, and, and they recognize this is a prophet of Israel. He's a man of God, and by blessing him, they're making room for God in their life in a great way. But here's what I want you to catch. They, they, they do something that's going to cost and actually be inconvenient. How many of you have enjoyed the road construction this summer? Reconstructing is a mess. Rearranging is a mess. And you know what prayer does? Prayer actually, and this is, if you're taking notes, this is point number one. Prayer makes room for God in my life. Makes room for God to move. Prayer does what this woman does with her husband for Elisha. It creates a space. In fact, it specifically says she built an upper room. And I know that just means it's on the top floor. But you know in the Bible what an upper room is? It's a place where God met with people. The upper room in the book of Acts is where the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was born. The upper room in the Last Supper was where Jesus had fellowship with his disciples and served them. It's, it's in those moments of encounter that happen in an upper room that our life has changed. And what does prayer do? It creates an upper room in my life. Prayer creates a space in my life. And just like I told you last week, I gave you a lot of practical things. If you missed that, you can listen to it on our podcast. But I gave you some practical things to help equip you to pray and to make a space. Have a place for God in your life. So prayer makes room for God. And sometimes it means rearranging some stuff on your schedule. And it means getting up a little bit earlier, staying up a little bit later, or just make, blocking out some stuff that would be a distraction, but saying, God, I'm going to create a space in my life for you. Verse 11, it happened that one day he turned in there. 
to the upper room and he laid down and man, he's just so grateful. He turns to his servant Gehazi and he says, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her and she stood before him and he said, uh, say now to her, look, you've been concerned with us for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to talk to the king on your behalf or speak to the commander of the army? And she says, no, I'm, I'm good. I dwell among my own people. In other words, I got everything I need. I'm good. So Elisha's like, he's not gonna let it go. He says, Gehazi, what then's to be done for her? And some of us are like that in prayer. We're like, I'm good, I got, I got everything I need. But there's actually something that this woman has buried that God knows of and Gehazi recognizes. He says, actually, she has no son and her husband, he's like really old. So he says, yeah, call her. And when he called her, he, she stood in the doorway. And Elisha says to her the word of the Lord, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord. No, I shut that door. Man of God, don't lie to me. Like he just, he just hit a nerve. There's some stuff in our life that we don't pray about anymore because we've resolved we can't deal with that pain. We've managed, not by getting healed from it, but by shutting the door on it. And we've said, I, 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 can't, I can't pray that again. I can't dream that again. I can't, I can't think about that again. I can't, I can't expect again. And she shuts the door. Don't even talk to me about this. Like there's some things we, we've buried there's a story in John 11, we'll come back to this in a second, but John 11, uh, Jesus gets word that his friends in Bethany are having a crisis. One of them is named Lazarus, and he becomes sick. And Jesus hears word that Lazarus is about to die. He's very ill, and it says that Jesus, in John chapter 11, verse three, you can write it down and look at it later, it says that he waited for, I think, three or four more days, four more days. And you think, man, Jesus if you love me, you'll do things when and how. <laughs> I think you should. And, and Lazarus dies. Jesus comes and Mary and Martha are there and usually they're the ones greeting at the door. They're the ones, they're the ones in the front row singing the song. They're the ones celebrating everything that Jesus has to, 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 to bring. But that day, they've shut the door on their pain. They've shut the door on a disappointment and Lazarus is buried in a tomb not far away and they've rolled a stone over the front of it and they've buried what they expected Jesus to change. In fact, I know that's the case because both Mary and Martha, when Jesus comes up to them, say the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. There's some things that we bury rather than open the door to God to move in in a fresh way. Can I just tell you, don't ever shut the door when God's opened the door. In fact, prayer invites God to do that reconstructing I talked about and sometimes that means that he comes in and he starts knocking on doors and we go, oh, that's too sensitive. Don't touch that. <laughs> I, I don't want to deal with that right now. God goes, no, I know, I know what's behind that door and I want to answer. I want to heal. I want to free. I want to move. Would you open that door? She says, don't lie to me. But here's what happens. Verse 17, but the woman conceived and bore a son 
when the appointed time had come, just like Elisha told her. Number two is prayer unlocks the deepest desire or need of the heart. It does. There's lots of stuff to go, God, I want this, I want that. And we can come to God with those things, but deep below the surface, there's a desire of the heart. It's not surface level. In fact, it's something that you will never find an answer for outside of God. And many times it's the only thing that God, that it's the only thing that nobody else knows about but God himself. Psalm 37, four talks about it. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. In other words, put God first, seek God, pray. And God begins to deal with what's deep inside of your heart. Number three is what happens next in the story. Some time passes and it says the child grew and now it happened, verse 18, one day that he went out to his father to the reapers and he said to his father my head the father said to the servant carry him to his mother and when he had taken him and brought him to his mother he sat on her knees until noon and then died this is the child of promise this is the one that Elisha had prophesied that she held in her arms just a year from that moment when she said don't lie to me Elisha and now her dream has died her son has died and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God shut the door and she went out and then he She called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And so he said, why are you going today? Like, it's not Sunday. It's not church. It's not a new moon. It's not a Sabbath. She says, it's well. She doesn't doesn't stop to explain what just happened. She just says, it's well. She goes on and, and, uh, and she approaches the place where Elisha and his servant are. Elisha tells his servant Gehazi, go and meet her. That's the shoot of my woman. Go and meet her. And, 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 and here's the messenger to ask her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered the same as she did for her husband. It is well. Why would she say that when nothing's well? <laughs> because prayer brings your pain to the right place. Prayer brings your pain to the right person. She goes, I, I don't have time to just talk about what I'm going through. I need to go to the source. And she takes her son to the upper room, the very place, the origin story of her miracle. That's important. She takes her son and places him on the bed in the very room that she had prepared for Elisha. And she goes to find Elisha. And she's looking for him because she thinks, I don't have time to mess with anybody else not Gehazi the servant, not even my husband. I'm not gonna sit here and commiserate what just happened. I need to go to the source. And you know what happens when we have pain and all of us have pain? We have disappointments and all of us have disappointments. We need to go to the source. We need to go to the only one that can bring an answer, the only one who can heal, the only one who can help, and that's God himself. She goes to Elisha, and she says largely the same thing she said before. She goes, why... Didn't I tell you not to lie to me? (laughs) Not to get my hopes up? Not to leave me disappointed? And and Elisha says, take me to him. And he goes with Gehazi. He sends his servant ahead who places his staff upon the child in the upper room. And here's what it says if we jump ahead. Verse 32, when Elisha came to the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. Let me just tell you the end of the story is this child is brought back to life and he calls the mother and the Shunammite woman and says, pick up your child. And, and, and this 
son of promise, is given back to his mother. Well, here's the point. Her prayer created a space. It created a platform in her life. In fact, that's the last point. Point number four, if we put that on the screen. Here's what prayer does. Prayer creates a platform of testimony. creates a place of testimony in my life that I can return to when I need it. So she had an upper room prepared for Elisha. All she was doing is blessing somebody. All she was doing, and when we pray, we're, seek, we're, we're not even praying to get something from God. We're praying to spend time with him, to grow in our faith, to worship, to give him what he deserves. But in creating that space, we may not know it, but we're actually creating a place that we can always run back to. And when she goes into crisis and she takes her pain to the source, then she has a place, she, what does she do? She lays her son in the upper room. She goes back to the upper room, and I'm telling you, there's moments that God did something in her life, maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that she need to go reopen that door and say, the God who healed then can heal today. The God who freed then can free today. The God who saved me can save my sons and daughters. The God who rescued me can rescue my family. Jesus said to Mary and Martha, where have you laid him? Oh, don't, don't take me there, Jesus. He's been in the tomb for four days. There's a stench now. And he says, roll away the stone. And as Mary and Martha are arguing with Jesus, saying, if you had been here, here's what Jesus said. Didn't I tell you if you had believed, you'd see the glory of God. Faith and prayer creates powerful results together. Jesus comes to the empty tomb after they rolled the stone away. And he begins to pray a very simple prayer. In fact, if you read the prayers of Jesus, they're really short. You're not heard because of the length of your prayer. I, I, I'm a, I love to pray for hours. I do, I really, because I've seen what God can do in my life. But I'm just telling you, your prayer isn't more effective just because of more words. Jesus says a very simple prayer. He says, I'm actually saying this, God, not even because I know you hear me. I know you hear me, Father. I'm saying this for the benefit of all those around me that they may know who I am and who you are. Jesus then says, Lazarus, come forth. And what was buried in the tomb is raised to life. That same God who raises dead things to life, that same God who raises dead dreams to life, that same God wants to do something right here in this room, right here in your life. What have you shut the door to that you think God can't set free anymore? That you think you'll never be able to overcome? you'll never be able to get fixed? What relationship have you shut the door on that you think that can never change? They can never change. <laughs> what if you began to go to the source? Instead of complaining about them, you went to the source with your pain and you allow God to open the door that only he can open and do what only he can do and invite a supernatural God to heal and set free. Jason, if you want to come up. We serve a God who moves mountains, as I've read to you today. We serve a God who raises dead things to life. What's keeping you from opening that door to God? I know a lot of powerful prayer warriors who've been silenced by the enemy. And all the enemy had to do was convince you you're not worthy of prayer, 
You can't go to God. All the enemy had to do was convince you that your past is too great to deal with. All he had to do is convince you you're not praying enough or praying like them. <laughs> and it short-circuited your prayer life. All he had to do is come along with an alternative, a doubt. You start to believe and you start to trust God and you start to put your confidence in God and he comes along and says, well, yeah, but what if you pray and nothing happens? I like to pray, let me just tell you this, I like to pray specific prayers. I learned a long time ago, if I pray generic prayers, I get generic answers. <laughs> but if I pray specific prayers, I can expect to see specific answers. But I also, you know, people in the investment world say, diversify your portfolio. I'm gonna tell you to diversify your prayer life. If your entire confidence in God is built on this one thing you're asking him to do, God may do that. In fact, I believe he will do that. Maybe he'll do something better than that. But you know what I've found is there's one thing worth building my faith on and it's not even that one answer prayer. It's a cross 2,000 years ago and what Jesus did on that cross for me and for you. And I, if God did not one more thing for me, he's always worthy. The enemies, he'll come along with the microscope and, and you'll be like, oh, I know there's like 15 things God's doing, but look at the one thing you haven't seen yet. And I've, listen, I've been doing this a long time. I've seen a lot of people who've seen the miracle after miracle after miracle get mad at God and offended because of one thing they hadn't seen yet. I want us to pray. If you would, stand to your feet. Altar team, if you'd also come to the front. Elisha, don't open that door. <laughs> don't lie to me. Is there something like that in your life that you say, that's, that's way too sensitive to deal with. I'm keeping that door shut. I'm gonna ask you today to open that door, not to us, but to God. And to say, God, I want you to move. I want you to work in this area. I'm gonna believe again. I'm gonna have confidence again. I'm gonna trust you again. Well, yeah, it's too late. No, it's not too late. I'm too young, I'm too old. That's the same thing Gehazi said. God did a miracle. What she had buried, what she had shut the door on, God not only gave her, but at the first crisis, God gave it back to her. That's what prayer can do. Prayer makes room for God to move in my life and yours. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and we're gonna pray for two things. And then Jason's gonna close us out and we're gonna sing that song again because I believe today is a day to lay some stuff at the feet of Jesus. Today's a day to commit everything to Jesus. In fact, that's the next verse after it says, it gives you the desire of your heart. He says, commit your way to the Lord and he'll establish the plans. What do you need to give to God today? What door have you shut that God says that needs to open? We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.